Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of UCR's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hello, Dr. Parks. That, that <laughs> sounds so... Okay. All right. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, keep does going. it sound familiar? Uh, Third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. DM Wen. Hi, DM. Hi, Dr. Parks. <laughs> Second-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hello, Dr. Parks. Oh, okay, wait. Now, when you do it, I don't know. I think we need to... Okay, um, so we have a special guest co-host, Dr. Michelle Tom. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, and Dr. Tom. Sorry, I uh, She, she hey. grew up in the greater L.A. area, daughter of Chinese immigrants, went to UCLA for undergrad. Um, she has a special interest in child and adolescent psychiatry and eating disorders. Uh, and I'm glad that you decided to join us today. I'm happy to be here. Uh, the views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent UCR, UCR Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, on today's show, we're going to talk about cultural psychiatry or uh, how psychiatric practice is influenced or modified depending on the culture of the patient. And that's one of the reasons why we have Dr. Tom here, um, because of your experience. And also, I understand you're going to co-write a chapter. Uh, um, yeah. On- yeah. So yes. I'm what is the name of this chapter? What is the name of this book that's coming out? Yeah. So um, I don't well, I have the, uh, the top the chapter of, of the the name of the chapter on the top of my head, but um, it's kind of um, in regards to cultural considerations um, as far as um, prescribing psychotropic medication to child and children and adolescents. That's pretty controversial. That's my thought because a lot of things that are prescribed to children are off label, Me- meaning mm-hmm. there it's not mm-hmm. like FDA approved. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? That yeah. kind that kind of scares me. Does it? <laughs> What is the most off-label? Again, it's not the most off. The, it's not prescribed. It's not. It, it's not recommended by the FDA, but psychiatrists prescribe it anyway for children and adolescents. Uh, I see. I, as soon as you came to the show, I just immediately put you on the hot seat. I know. I'm going to have to defer this one to. Um, Dr. I mean, Andy I don't know Schreier. how you could say the most off-label. I think there just are a lot of medications. The most frequently prescribed that's off-label that's not recommended by the FDA. For I think children. It, it just it's up to the provider. Sure. Like a lot of providers just stick to those that are FDA recommended and then a lot of providers just use other things that they've had experience using with kids. So, um and sometimes it's regional too. Like some you know, universities. Just based on your experience. I'm gonna yeah. get an answer from someone, so I'm just I'm not letting it go until I'm just, oh, well, I guess um the I get nervous uh, when Clozeril is prescribed. Clozeril. Oh, like, that's Clozeril. pretty, like, strong and with it's Now, Clo- Clo- can you explain a little bit about Clozeril? Yeah, like, Clozeril is one of our... You have to fail, like, two trials of other antipsychotics before you even start it, and it requires weekly, like, and then monthly blood draws. So it's not an wow. easy medication to take, for ch- especially for children. So it's not recommended by children, for children, but you see, you've seen it prescribed for children. Well, they ha- the problem is they have to fail, anti- like other antipsychotics, before they can be started on Clozril. So that means that the child must have been on other antipsychotics, which... Aren't are also off which are also off labeled yeah. on children. I mean, wow. there are no, there are antipsychotics that well, that's are FDA true. approved for but kids. Yeah. You ju- you're just more cautious about using them. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. Any antipsychotic okay. you're cautious about using, but especially in kids, because yeah. if one of the problems with antipsychotics is that when using them lifelong, you can have um, side effects. 
Okay. So when, when you're starting with kids, you know it's going to be a, a, a long road. Oh, many years. Yeah, many, many years. years yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm taking off the hot seat. You know, I'm satisfied. So Sorry. let's get to cultural <laughs> psychiatry. And this is going to be mostly you all's topic. Okay. I'm just going to be more def- deferential to you all. So, um, but one of the things that, you know, that I, that I see pop up every once in a while is the expression of mental illness. It doesn't fit because I was raised in the United States, so it doesn't fit my uh, understanding of what mental illness um, looks like. And therefore, because it doesn't, then I might assume something more serious or more severe, or I might, or I might misdiagnose. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, there's some kind of cultural practices that are to address things like anxiety or depression or mental health conditions that I it's hard for me to understand mm-hmm. or or maybe even um, different you know and you know you know uh, you know t- today we have you know th- three people of Asian descent one person Latin one Latinx individual Edgar well, that, and that's I'm what ha- their statistics usually say right it was a minority what? yeah yeah you, yeah yeah everyone everyone here is like uh, yeah I'm a minority right here today. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's different kinds of uh, ways to to manage, like for in the Asian culture, like cupping, mm-hmm. and there's something called moxibustion. I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, you, you, you burn incense yeah. on the skin, that kind of thing. Yeah, and so, uh, but but you know, I think we should maybe start with what kinds of forms of mental health condition, or what kinds what kinds of labels, or what kinds of way uh, descriptors that are culturally embedded of mental health conditions, maybe maybe in the Asian culture. What do you mean? I, I'm not sure what and you're how, And how, how um, mental health conditions or symptoms are described within a oh, culture. Oh, interesting. Okay, so what I've seen in a lot of minorities, minority patients who come in, is um, descriptions of more somatic symptoms, meaning physical symptoms like headaches, stomach aches, that sort of thing, rather body aches, that, rather than um, depression, anxiety. Do you okay. guys see that? You guys see that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's what I see all the time. And I, I think it has to do, at least coming from Mexican culture, that I wasn't born, you know, going to the doctor. And even if it's just primary care, getting your checkups and everything. So if we don't even do that, what do you think mental health is going to be? It's going to be probably something that we never really are used to, heard of. So we wouldn't go to the a clinic saying, oh, you know, I'm anxious or depressed. I think it will be more like what Tosha was saying, like, you know, I really have like uh, GI opposite, uh, you know, um, feeling palpitations, or, or they might not even say that. They might just be in an attack of the nervios. Have you ever, guys ever heard of that? Yeah, mm-hmm. th- is that anxiety? It, it is kind of like almost like, like mimics like a panic attack. Hmm. You just like have uh, all these somatic complaints, your heart rate, you're sweating, you're shaking, you're feeling like you're gonna lose control, and it can it, just... it can lead to someone having like a seizure-like episode. Mm-hmm. It can be that severe, yeah. Yes. So well, they wouldn't present like that to you, and then you have to figure it out based based on what you know about the culture, basically. So it's in Latino culture, and it's often seen in stressful moments like a funeral, um, something like that. So it sounds very much like a panic attack. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not, it's yeah, pretty much. How how accepted? But, oh, sorry, but yeah. I I do want to add on to Edgar's answer that I think the reason that we hear so many somatic complaints is because one, um, those underrepresented cultures, those underrepresented patients in their culture, 
um, you know, mental health is highly stigmatized, even more so than Western culture. And so it's difficult for them to talk about mental health. Also, there's a lack of education about mental health in those cultures. So they might not even understand themselves what what they're experiencing other than their physical symptoms. What do you do to then to bring them up to speed? What I do, uh, one, th- one of the things that's recommended is to ask them, why do you think you're having these symptoms? Mm. How do they explain it themselves? So they might say, you know, I, I've just been more tired. I've been working more. Or I'm, I'm, you know, the solo caregiver of my kids or X, Y, or Z, you know, or, 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 um, my grandma passed away and now she's haunting me. Yeah. I was going to say, what do you, what do you do when there's a spiritual explanation? Like, how do you bridge that gap and how do you? Well, I mean, you have to be able to recognize what's kind of culturally acceptable. Um, Like, you know, if there is a patient that really believes like my grandmother's dead and is now, you know, keeping me company at my bedside when I go to sleep. Um, If you say it to someone who's more Americanized, that's not really the like social cultural norm. Um, And so some people might view it as abnormal, but someone within psychotic or psychotic, you know, Um, if it's extended, maybe maybe there's a a flash here and there or mm -hmm. if they think they see their dead relatives is common. But if it's like, yeah, if it's more involved, it's more ongoing. Yeah, that's pretty unusual. Mm -hmm. And just regular. Or if it causes some sort of um, like emotional distress or it um, kind of like wheels its way into your um, function in some way where you're unable to function, then that's when it's a little bit more pathological. Now, um, uh, I, this might, oh, go ahead. I Dr. think to Michelle's point when? too, psychosis is also presented differently in different cultures, right? So I think there's a WHO study that says um, in European American cultures, when they talk about hallucinations, it tends to be very like negative, egocentric, like that somebody like my is screaming at me, whatever, whatever. But in other cultures, it doesn't. I think it was a comparison with like Nigeria. It doesn't have that negative. Their hallucinations aren't negative, and they're not. Um, the majority of them aren't. Um, as distressing for the population as like what we commonly consider like the hallucinations of like schizophrenia. What is your um, proposed explanation for that? I I think it's a, I think that's why it's important to understand culture because you have to understand the mix of how religion impacts it for a lot of these, like a lot of cultures, there's a stronger religious component. And so for them, the voice is soothing. They hear God's voice or, and it, it doesn't bother them. Whereas I think, I I think the explanation tends to uh, be that European and American cultures tend to be more individualized. And so they take, it's more egocentric versus, um, a community like religious feel. So I imagine that if you have a more of a um, a comfort, let's say, of the psychotic symptoms, does that translate into less severity? What do you mean? That? Th- that means that there's they're less bothered by it, so there's less accompanying depression or anxiety about these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's also less a label of it, right? Because you only diagnose disorders when they're distressing to you, when they affect your function, which is what Michelle was saying. It, really, it has to impact some sphere of your functioning. Right. So if you hear voices, but they're fine, they don't bother you, then I'm not ready to medicate that. Well, mm. I mean, could that be part of the explanation of why indigenous peoples 
um, usually have a much lower incidence of uh, mental health diagnoses. Right. And there are some religious countries that actually pursue hallucinations, like Amazon tribes, Mm -hmm. like they take like herbal supplements and stuff to induce hallucinations. And so... So it's like indigenous cultures... It's um, almost like there's a part of the, it, there's a part of flexibility within their culture right. that almost allows some of these experiences that um, can happen in a human being. Mm-hmm. Whereas in more Western cultures, it's more maybe rigid and defined, and right. and uh, uh, the expectation is that you don't have these experiences, and then there's more of a greater reaction if they have them. Does right. that I, sound I like a reasonable? Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable explanation. I I disagree. I think it's more just that in the other cultures there is more magical thinking and if if our if someone in our culture so grief um oftentimes in grief in normal grief people can hear the voice of their loved one right we're not going to treat that with antipsychotics so i still say there's some wiggle room and and it, it still comes down to how impairing is it so i don't i don't i wouldn't say that like because a culture is more open to that they have less psychosis i think it's just there's a there's yeah, a difference no, the between level, the two yeah the level of psychosis well, is the same across the board i think same, the yeah. level of distress is what yeah. we're talking about they uh, can accommodate and adapt to it more right. better is that sounding mm-hmm. right no, no I, I, I mean it's, it's kind of like um like culture and like social social and culture um influence on how much someone can tolerate so it's like a distress tolerance if you grew up in a culture that's more tolerant to let's say having this like ultra religious belief right then that might not be considered as manic you know yeah no and i also feel like you know tosha to kind of build on your um, think about how how it interferes with functioning. I feel like you know in some indigenous cultures. So let's say someone is um, a, a talking a lot about how they're being visited by spirits or or whatnot. Then their culture is again adaptable enough to say, oh, okay, and they don't freak out and they just kind of still accept the person. Here, why don't you kind of sift? Or pick out these seeds over here and contribute to our <laughs> our family, and yes. they can still kind of remain a part of the community, a, a, a contributing part of the community, Maybe. and then it, it doesn't really affect their functioning that much. Yeah. Is that, that's what possible. I was thinking. If, like but that sounds like too. very mild psychosis. See, what I'm saying right. is. is moderate severe psychosis uh, is going to be the same whether same it's everywhere. in right. America I would say that the rates of schizophrenia are the same across the, like uh, different countries so that doesn't change but I think it's the, the, treatment. the treatment and the distress of the hallucinations differ and the, um, the type of hallucinations also differ across like different cultures in different countries how, now does anyone know about this how accepted is therapy like in Latin American countries Edgar how accepted is it to have like you know, just regular. Can you speak for all the Latin American countries? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're an expert because again, I didn't sure. prepare for this episode, so yeah, I mean, like, I mean, well, I'll just give you a, like an statistic that I was reading. Um, uh, the loss to follow up in Hispanics, it's about fifty percent, I believe, after your first interaction with a therapist. Whether that compared to a Caucasian, it might be around thirty percent or something in some other cultures. They're gonna drop out. Yeah. So, so people, let's say I go and see you, right? And it's my first time, maybe my family finally convinced me to go, all those things. And then I don't feel I have a good experience or many other reasons, and I don't come back to you. It's like half of the people who will see the therapies will see it only once. Is that like, um, what group is that? Would you say Latinos? 
Yes. I think is that Latinos is... being seen by Latinos, or is no, that Latinos general. being seen by? Are we talking about the United States? Like, like here in the United States, okay. like because so then I think there's the a composition... misrepresentation in terms of who's treat like providers, right? Right. So there's different reasons for that. It can be anything from uh, they language barriers. They might mm -hmm. speak some a little bit English or, uh, or um, understand, but it's different when they don't understand the content. Uh, yeah, the context of why are you coming, which is goes back to what we were talking about. All the thing might be so, like socioeconomics, like I rather not pay you again, and I rather you know feed my kids with that money. And also, yeah, uh, if you let's say I go with you, you recommend like you know I had an attack of the nervous, and you recommend do this, this and that. You might need a break from taking care of your five children at home and your husband after you know he gets home or whatever. But then. It can be perceived if you don't explain it in a good way as that's selfish. It's like, how am I not mm. gonna, right. you know, how am I gonna take a vacation when my kids or my family needs me? And if you don't explain that in yeah. a way, and then, oh, the doctor or the therapist, you told me that I need a vacation, yeah. and and they're not gonna come back to you because they then that rapport trust is not it's not there. You know? Yeah. So this is important because I think that talking about these things is uh, it's good to know about in terms of diagnosis but also treatment and how you approach treatment. Because have you guys seen the movie? Well, we, DM and I saw the movie The Farewell together. Remember when we saw that? Did right. you guys see that? No. The Farewell? No, no. It's a movie that came out last year um, with Aquafina as the protagonist. Anyways, so she's a, um, she's a Chinese, Chinese American um, living in like New York or something. And then she is very tight with her grandma who lives in China. And uh, she finds out that her grandma has a terminal illness and she um, wants to go visit her grandma and say goodbye basically. But the family's like, no, 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 you can't say that she's sick. You can't tell her her diagnosis. We're not, no one's going to oh, tell okay. her. And this is par just a normal part of Chinese culture apparently I don't I don't know the numbers on that I don't know mm -hmm. but um uh yeah I had, a, I had a client that said the almost exact same thing okay yeah so DM actually said that at UCLA right you guys were taught about this so that you could be aware in in medical school in medical right. school at UCLA so that you could be aware as practicing physicians um if you had a family a Chinese family come into the hospital and so, and the uh, someone was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Not to be surprised if the family asked you, don't right. share that with the right with yeah. the patient. And I think it's just learning to respect the different wishes that your patients come with that that they bring with them as part of their history, as part of their culture, as part of their religion. Yeah, because for the Chinese, it's actually the idea is to spare their loved one, the patient with the terminal diagnosis, from the grief of going through the last legs of their life. So they feel like it's a gift to their loved one that they don't have to worry about their impending death. don't share death. that, okay. Yes. Yeah, I think it ex the movie explains yeah. it pretty well. Yeah, it's it was a good like movie. It's also nominated for a Globe. I think it won the they Golden won. Globe. She won. Yeah, she won. Yeah. She won an award. She was yeah. like the first Asian American to win. What'd she win? Best what actress? actress? Good yeah. for her. She did a great job with that movie. I think that just in general, I mean, this these kind of issues um, are better addressed by psychiatrists in some ways because it's almost like the medical, you know, medicine for your symptoms is like you're in. It's like your foot in the door, and then you could go to therapy if you want to, but they're yeah, already there for point. the medicine. Yeah. So Does there are a lot. Sense? So in let's say Asian culture, if there's a doctor saying you should take this medication they respect the authority of right. the doctor they take it 
that's why I feel. But I think as a prescriber therapy. too, you have to be. Oops, sorry, you have to have this kind of um, cultural sensitivity or cultural humility when you treat patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that, and I think part of that is why, like, we're trying to have more prescribers who are you know, culturally competent or who have a diverse background themselves. Because there's, I mean, if you look at the data, schizophrenia is like overdiagnosed in young African-American males, right? And that's because uh, we don't, we, we see things that are like normal, I mean, that are normal within their own, like how they were raised within their background, but it's not our background. So we take that out of context because we can only attribute it to ourselves. And then it becomes a disorder because we think, oh, how can you function like this? But it it's totally normal. Violence, mm-hmm. like African-American communities and Latinos who mm-hmm. grew up with exactly. you know, violence. And they're while was watching over their backs exactly. because they were, you know, traumatized. They grew up and in a gang-riddled neighborhood. As, you know, yeah. they're paranoid. Paranoia. Yeah. Psychosis yeah. or yeah. drug Suspicious. Suspicious not paranoia. So, so that's what cultural, you know, being cultural sensitive in psychiatric psychology means. So mm-hmm. understand all that we come from to properly diagnose and treat. Yeah, you have to have a thorough, a thorough assessment and uh, understand their background and their, yeah. and their cultural background. Yeah. Uh, and if you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We're talking about cultural psychiatry. Um and the implications for our practice. So this has kind of moved maybe to some other different cultures or different expressions of mental illness. Um, what about, um, you mentioned kind of African Americans and um, maybe African cultures or other cultures. Do we have any examples? Does anyone have any examples of different forms of uh, or expressions of mental health conditions? I have some really interesting ones, and they're categorized based off of. Um, well, I'll just I'll just tell you. So there's um, pathogenetic. There's a category of pathogenetic culture-bound syndromes, and pathogenetic just means that those beliefs specific to a culture um, are seen as the causes of these symptoms that we're seeing in these syndromes. So an example is something called coro, which um, is seen in. Uh, Chinese culture originally, but now it's seen in other parts of Asia. And what happens is there's a sudden fear that um, it's oftentimes a man that his penis is actually shrinking into his abdomen and it's disappearing. So and possibly death might result from that. So there's pictures of like loved ones. So I saw this picture of the man's wife and his neighbor's they have to like hold on to him and his penis to prevent it from being sucked into his body. And so they're quote quote wait, unquote wait, did, saving him. Hey, wait. Does the does the man say, I think my penis is gonna be sucked in my body? And I don't know. I don't know what he, he said. elicits I don't know. help and support from his family to yes. keep it from being sucked into his body. Another picture I saw was a woman wow. who was afraid her nipples were doing the same thing. Oh. So her female friends were holding, pinching onto her nipples, holding them to try to prevent them from from basically disappearing. Oh. And it's saving them. They feel like they could die. So treatments for this wow. are hot drinks, like ginger juice or chili pepper jam. Um, this is to supplement the yang element, like yin and yang. Um, also, you know, physically pulling on the organ, the shrinking organ, making noise to chase away the possessing evil. Um, and, and by the way, this information is from in a lecture I got from Dr. Jose Aguilar. Hmm. Um, also from Wikipedia, some of the other stuff I got later on. Um, but yeah, they usually respond favorably to supportive therapy and education. But that was one that I thought was really interesting. 
Wow. And, or to that pl- the placebo effect of the ginger juice? Mm-hmm. Possibly. Yeah, I mean, if they feel maybe. like something is done, that's just as, that's, like that's just as effective. Something warm that flushes them and arouses yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in a lot of, like, <laughs> Chinese culture, um, a lot of symptoms, not even, psych- like, mental health, but physical medical symptoms, um, they're justified by yin and yang. So, you know, if you're feeling feverish, then you might have a little bit too much yin and you need to balance it with foods that are more yang. Now, do you ever Mm -hmm. use that to your advantage in framing things or no, do you just go completely from a scientific I've never talked about yin and yang Um, My mom says it to me all the time. You know what? I bet it's different though in um, programs that serve more Asian families because we don't have a lot of Chinese um, people coming to clinics. Is that something you might do then? Like frame it. Maybe if I knew more about Yin and Yang. Yeah, in Inland Empire, we don't have too many um, Asian patients. Maybe like a few. Hmm. Um, But I know UCLA, they have like an entire um, Eastern medicine medicine in psychiatry. Hmm. Um, Anyways, I wanted to talk about another idea: pathofacilitating culture-bound syndrome. So these are when the cultural influence of the society um, contribute to the prevalence of disorders. So one example would be anorexia in Western cultures, right? Because we now are so... Now it's time to like slam nor- Western culture. <laughs> so we're so focused Finally. on body image. So we have higher rates of anorexia yes. um, versus other cultures such as uh, cultures that, f- that feel that being overweight indicates good fortune. Like the Pacific Islands. Yeah, I mean, you can you can even kind of track the influence and a culture, uh, uh, the 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 invasiveness of Western culture in other um, areas of the world by how much eating disorders there are, how many, how, how prevalent the eating disorders are. Yeah. That you know, suddenly when you know the the um, other cultures are exposed to Western television, they start having these the more eating disorders, yeah, and more problems with uh, anorexia. Yeah. It's it's really terrible. Yeah, I think. Didn't you have a story to share too, Michelle? Oh, about like personal story. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I mean, if we have time, right? Yeah. Um, so I actually, one of my aunts, um, I'm not actually sure, you know, again, with the hush hushness, I don't know what she was diagnosed with, but there was obviously something wrong. Um, she was always this happy go lucky woman. Are you whispering because you don't want <sighs> it to go out onto the air? Oh, I'm not trying Thousands to whisper. Of people. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, my mom's gonna call me and yell at me. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, our whole family knows. There's, you know, there's something. There... You're comfortable saying what yeah, you're about yeah, to say. Yeah, okay, there's something, something wrong, not quite right. Um, to this day, I still don't know what was happening. But I do know that my grandma um, traveled to China um, to because there is this thought. This is what my mom told me. This thought that. Um, she was being haunted by her unborn child that she aborted years and years in the past. Um, and so my grandma went to China um, and somehow had this ceremony, found this woman who had um, aborted, I guess, a daughter, and they had them marry. So they had a ceremony for their you spirits. You mean the unborn? Oh, the unborn like spirits. Ride. That's yeah. what a show on Netflix yeah. right now. <laughs> now, is that, a, is that a usual practice? or is that I don't like, know, but I know that they did that. Was that um, like someone being, like, improving? 
in the spiritual realm. I I, I think it's done. No, I, wow. it's what done. Was the wow. show on Netflix. It what is. I didn't even know they do that. They marry the. I didn't watch the show. The I just saw like the little blurb. But yeah, but she 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 was treated with medication as well. But that was done in addition. Okay. To, uh, to be play it safe. It never hurts to cover all your bases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well, have you ever, has anyone ever uh, confronted or dealt with cultural practices that were not very healthy? How do they deal with that? How did, did Education. They... Okay. Yeah. And I think also one of what works in, in med school is like, um, yeah, we have this idea of Western medicine, what works and not in terms of, you know, pharmaco therapy, et cetera, but you never also, unless it's really destructive, you also don't discourage your patient of not of doing things that are non-Western related. Mm-hmm. Like if you have yeah. a practice, you believe that if it's not affecting you, you educate, yes, like this interactions that might happen with certain sub, uh, you know, supplements, but you don't completely challenge that or confront yeah. that if, if it doesn't interfere don't with the other one. Don't directly confront it, yeah. yeah. And reassure. Or if it's not a damn, like, like yeah, under the auspices of like a child abuse thing yeah. or something. Yeah, if it's like not that. detrimental, yeah. like if it's not like the way they treat is to, you know, take a lot of math, then, yeah. you know, then you can just... Yeah, like, work with it, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. pick your battles. And that'll do it for us uh, on Let's Get Psych. We've talked to the, tonight about cultural psychiatry and we were joined by our special guest host dr michelle tom thank you michelle for joining us thank you for having me uh thank you also to our co-host dr toshi yamaguchi dr dm Wen, and dr edgar ortega if you have comments questions or suggestions for the show uh, for the show you can write us at get psyched on kucr at gmail.com that's get psyched on kucr at gmail.com special thanks to our producer elliot fong This episode was recorded in the studios of KUCR on the campus of the University of California, Riverside. I've been your host, Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.